John Hamblin, uh, evangelist John Hamblin, and he's been in evangelism for 36 years, almost 36. It'll be 36 very soon here, and that's a long time to be on the road traveling. Again, uh, the sacrifices that are made through the years, family, life, uh, your wife, and so forth, those are all things. God has to prepare people for those things, a wife that's prepared for that, a wife that's ready for that. Not every wife can handle that. But his wife is doing a fabulous job with it because she's certainly behind her husband as well as been given the grace to deal with it that way. And uh, 36 years, can you imagine, on the road, different hotels across the country, different pulpits every single week. That's amazing, really, just amazing. But the Lord's blessed Brother Hamblin and his ministry, and obviously he's doing something right, amen? And we're certainly excited to have him with us. He uh, has been in our tent meetings in the past. How many of you have heard him at the tent meetings? Yeah, a number of you have, absolutely. Very good. And uh, he's going to be back again. If this is the first time you've ever heard him, let me just tell you this. I'm going to say it publicly. Give him a chance. All right? Just give him a chance, all right? Just warm up to him a little bit, all right? And, he'll, and, and then you'll warm up to him. <clears throat> you, you know what I mean when he gets up here? He's, he's, you'll see. <clears throat> but he's going to... He's going to push the right buttons. The Lord's going to do a work in our life if we'll open our hearts. Amen. And that's how it's supposed to be. It's amazing. You know, God will use anybody. A little summer down here, right on up to Mr. Hare Sr. back there. He'll use us all. Amen. Doesn't matter who we are. Open your hearts today and let God do something in your life. You'll be glad you did. Brother Hamlin, you come preach for us, would you? Yes, sir. 
Thank you so much. Thank you, preacher. God bless you. Open your Bibles, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. It is a wonderful joy and blessing to be back at the great community, Baptist Temple in Akron, Ohio. Uh, these dates have been in my calendar for over uh, three years plus, and I'm absolutely thrilled for the privilege of being with you, precious people, on this uh, August anniversary. I want to publicly commend and congratulate our dear friends, Pastor and Mrs. Mark O'Donnell, and the church family of the Community Baptist Temple for 21 years of being a bright light in a dark world. God bless you. I salute you. Uh, I want to say that I appreciate you, and it is not every day that a fundamental, independent, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, premillennial, missionary-minded, soul-winning, temperamental Baptist church has a 21st anniversary. You say, what's the big deal with 21 years? Well, there are some Christians we can't hardly get in church 21 services, let alone 21 years. And so I appreciate so much the sacrifice, the stand, uh, the stanima that it takes in reaching such uh, a milestone of ministry. And I appreciate that, and I'm honored to be here. I'm mindful that there are any number of far better preachers that could have been invited for this anniversary service. So thank you, Brother O'Donnell, O'Donnell family. Thank you, Community Baptist Temple, for the privilege that is mine to be here on this very special anniversary. I've enjoyed the singing and always appreciate the way things are done here at the Community Baptist Temple. I am a detailed person. If you read very far, read very long in the Bible, you'll see that God gives great attention to detail as well. And I never come here, what, uh, but what I am mindful, never come here, but what I'm mindful, that this is a preacher. And this is a place uh, that is not only fundamental, uh, but does it in a very fine way. And I certainly appreciate that. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 23. As the preacher made mention uh, in uh, that very unique introduction a moment ago, I hope we recorded that. I want to get the definition and the uh, deciphering of what he was saying. Uh, but as he was introducing me, uh, he mentioned uh, that I'd been here in the tent meeting. In fact, uh, every year had uh, the privilege of preaching under the tent. And uh, uh, before I read my text and preach, I, I have to do something. I probably, like you, have a, have a bucket list. And uh, on my bucket list was to preach one day inside the Community Baptist Temple. It's on my bucket list. And so while you're finding Luke 23, let me just cross this off because I finally get to preach inside. Up to this moment, I kind of felt like the old stray neighborhood dog uh, that you feed uh, and, and maybe you'll pet, not too many times, but maybe you'll pet, but man, you're never letting them in the house. You're just not doing it. And so I get to cross off, Brother O'Donnell, my bucket list, finally getting to preach inside at the Community Baptist Temple. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 23, and I'll take but one verse of Scripture for our text, and it will be verse number 33. Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, 
and verse number 33. I almost feel that I need to give uh, the background and the backdrop of the message that I'm going to try to preach uh, this morning. Uh, let me also mention, I'd made a mental note that you'll want to be on the service tonight at, uh, at 6 o'clock because I'm going to try to stay uh, around the theme of this day in that it is the 21st anniversary of the Community Baptist Temple. You'll see in a moment that uh, I'm preaching on something that I think is very apropos, if you will, uh, to this anniversary. Uh, and then tonight I'll be uh, along that same line, if you will, bowling down that same alley. For tonight I'll be preaching on the subject, the Lord helping me, getting to the next level for God. Now here we are at 21 years, but we want to get to 22 years, and we want to get to 23 years, and we want to get to so on and so on. You say, Dr. Hamlin, how can we do that? Well, you come back tonight, and I will sit in your lap and tell you exactly how we can do that. And so the Lord helping me tonight, uh, I will preach on the subject, getting to the next level for God. But as you're finding your place in Luke chapter 23, back in June of 2010, I was on a uh, late uh, afternoon flight uh, from Detroit to Hartford, Connecticut. I got to my plane seat, and as I always do, I uh, cinched that seatbelt around my waist and reached for the in-flight magazine, which uh, is always the same in a month. I fly all the time with uh, Delta, and uh, they have the same in-flight magazine for the entire month. And so that month, I had looked at that in-flight magazine 18 times. But it's still just a ritual. It's still just a routine that I do. When I get to my plane seat, I cinch uh, that seatbelt around my waist, reach for the in-flight magazine, and just take a moment to glance at it till we get up in the air, and then I begin to work on however long that flight is to get some things accomplished. Well, I reached for that in-flight magazine and uh, saw as I was glancing through it uh, an advertisement, an ad for a resort. I have it in my hand uh, this morning. That resort is in New York, London, Paris, and Hong Kong, and uh, I just uh, so moved by it that I tore it roughly out of the in-flight magazine, and uh, that's not a crime, is it? I don't think it is, but I roughly tore it out of the in-flight magazine, and I took my pen, and I outlined a thought, and from June of 2010, I have carried this in my briefcase from June of 2010. And it wasn't until right recently that I pulled it out of my briefcase and developed the thought and the outline that I had scratched down from that uh, advertisement of that ad for a resort in New York, London, Paris, and Hong Kong. And it's off the top of that ad and that advertisement that you'll find my subject this morning. Gospel of Luke, chapter 23 and verse number 33. And I would invite you to stand with me as I read the Word of God. Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, and verse number 33. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. On the top of that ad and that advertisement for that resort, was this statement. They meant it in regards to a resort. When I saw it, I thought of it in regards 
to redemption. And for a few moments, I want to speak to you on the subject this morning. There are places you leave and places that never leave you. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this privilege to stand behind a sacred desk to preach the Word of God. If I know my heart, I want to be a blessing. But the only way that I can be is if you hide me behind the cross and fill me with the Spirit. Place a hedge around this great church by the blood of Christ to keep the devil and his demons from hindering this service. Save the sinner and stir the saint. Heavenly Father, for all that you'll do in our midst and even in our hearts this morning, we will be careful to give you all the praise and honor and glory. Bless and protect my precious family as I am away. Give us fresh warm bread from the oven of heaven to feed from this morning. And Lord, I'd request, oh, how I would request that you'd clothe me in my calling. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. And you may be seated. During the span of every human being's life, there will be spots that they will visit that will forever be stored in the vault of their mind and memory. As a small boy, I stood at the brim of the Grand Canyon and also at the brink of the Niagara Falls and still can recall how breathtaking those places were. But there is another site that one can visit by way of the Holy Scriptures that no person saved or lost will ever be able to escape its magnitude nor its meaning. There are places you leave and places that never leave you. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, we find the events around the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. This chapter could be easily or effortlessly outlined like this. Jesus is condemned by the judge, verses 1 through 25. Jesus is crucified by the Jews, verses 26 through 49. And Jesus is claimed by Joseph, verses 50 through 56. It is well the physician Luke is stealing under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit with Jesus is crucified by the Jews that a person stands on the most sacred spot on the pages of the Scriptures. Uh, verse 33, And they were come to the place which is called Calvary. There they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. The great Bible student Alexander McLaren once penned about our text, there is something impressive in this uh, unbroken continuity of the clauses in this paragraph, which follow one another, linked in a simple and, like the waves of a dead sea, 
which rolled heavily in dreary succession. And then he ties up his thought by writing, it is for us to stand on the margin of that sea of unutterable anguish and remember that his submerging was for our deliverance. Never forget what every single person in this service needs is an expedition to Golgotha by way of the Holy Scriptures and Holy Spirit which will in turn hang on the walls of their mind the mural of this forever experience. Now if you miss everything uh, that I preached this morning, oh, I pray that you would not miss that. And it even bears repeating what every single person what every single person, what every single person in this service needs is an expedition to Golgotha by way of the Holy Scriptures and Holy Spirit, which will in turn hang on the walls of their mind the mural of this forever uh, experience. Friend, you and I, those that are unsaved and saved, need to visit that place that we leave, but it never leaves us. Quickly, I want to give you this morning three reasons. Three reasons why Calvary is the place that a person leaves, but it remains the place that never leaves a person. And they're all found here in Luke chapter 23. Let's quickly notice it this morning. There are places you leave and places that never leave you. Number one, it's a particular place. Verse 33, and when they are come to the place which is called Calvary, A reason Calvary is the place that a person leaves, but it remains the place that never leaves them, is it's a particular place. In verse 33, the physician Luke tells us that this spot is one of unforgettable characteristics. The songwriter wrote, On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, Calvary, the name used in the New Testament for the Emirates, 250 yards northeast of the Damascus Gate outside the city of Jerusalem where the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. It comes, Brother O'Donnell, from the Latin word meaning the skull. The site may have been associated with a cemetery since it was a place of execution. Even to this day, from certain angles and certain advantages, uh, an outcropping of rock makes this hill resemble a skull. It's on this spot that the entire world then and now has its portrait or has its picture drawn. The people in general just stared in stolid indifference. Verse 35, the professional religionist scoffed. Verse 35, the brutal mocked. Verse 36, the convicted sinner prayed. Verse 42, the believing centurion glorified God. Verse 47, and the disciples stood afar off. Verse 
49. Here humanity is at its worst, but wait a minute, divinity is still at its best. If you don't shout glory, I will for you, your entire family, and even for your next door neighbor's third cousin. Friend, you and I need to know that the reason Calvary is the place you leave, but it remains the place that never leaves you, is it's a particular place. The Bible says in John 19, 17, And he bearing his cross went forth unto a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Galgotha. No place. On this blue marble called earth has there been a location that has been so loathed but still so loved throughout the ages like this single location. Many years ago, the great orator and pulpiteer, Dr. R.G. Lee, was leading a tour to the Holy Lands. While visiting Gordon's Calvary, he turned to his guide with an unusual request, he said, I'd like to go up there, pointing to the crest of the hill. You can't, said the guide, but Dr. Lee was not to be refused. I'm going, he insisted, that I will go with you, the guide answered, and together the two made their way to the top of the hill. Once on the crest, Dr. Lee removed his hat to stand with bowed head, greatly moved, Sir, uh, the guide asked abruptly, Have you been here before? Yes, replied Dr. R.G. Lee without the slightest hesitation. He went on to say, 2,000 years ago, when Christ died for me, uh, there uh, he uh, died in my place. And he went on to say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, uh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2 and verse number 20. You see, Calvary is that place that you leave, but it never leaves you because it's a particular place. Number two, let me hasten still in Luke chapter 23. Number two, it's a painful place. Verse 33, there they crucified him. The reason Calvary is the place that a person leaves, but it remains the place that never leaves them. It's a painful place. In verse 33, the physician Luke tells us that the lovely Lord Jesus Christ was put on a cross to suffer like no man ever has or no man ever will. The songwriter wrote, On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. Crucifixion was Rome's punishment for slaves 
foreigners and criminals who are not Roman citizens. It was the most disgraceful and dishonorable death a cruel age could devise. Nails were driven through the hands and feet and the victim was left hanging there in agony, starvation, insufferable thirst and excruciating convulsions of pain. The crucifixion began about 9 a.m. in the morning and Jesus died about 3 in the afternoon the whole time ah brother O'Donnell he was crowned in thorns and robed in blood many times when we think of the cross we think uh, of uh, a gold cross or a jewel encrusted cross or a silver cross but friend I am here to tell you on the authority of the word of God it was not a gold cross. It was not a jewel encrusted cross. I wish somebody helped me preach this morning. It was not a silver cross. But friend, that cross there uh, would be tantamount to have hanging around your neck an electric chair. It's a place of not celebration. Oh, that will come when the stones rolled away. By the way, I have no grave concerns since Jesus came out of the grave. Whoop! Goes right there. It was not a place of celebration. But friend, it was a place of crucifixion. Friend, you and I need to know that the reason that Calvary is the place you leave, but it remains the place that never leaves you, it's a painful place. Now there are several different pains that the Savior experienced and more importantly endured on the cross. First of all, emotional Suffering. Mark 15, 29, and they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads. A different pain that the Savior endured on the cross was emotional suffering. The crowd he died for was also the very same crowd that cursed him, and he felt every vow of their verbal condemnation. Whoever said sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you, apparently never had anything cutting said to them. Every one of us can step into a time machine and go back to our teenage years or go back to our childhood years and every one of us still can remember things uh, that were said uh, that were critical and we can remember things uh, uh, that were that were cutting uh, and, and, and a pain uh, that Jesus uh, uh, experienced, uh, he endured on the cross uh, uh, was uh, emotional, emotional suffering. Uh, secondly, mm, physical suffering. Hebrews thirteen twelve. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate, a different pain that the Savior experienced and more importantly endured on the cross was physical suffering. For the sacrifice to have been scriptural, the suffering, listen, had to be supreme and serious. I was getting ready for a revival meeting early one morning years ago in Avondale, Arizona. I was already prepared to preach. 
I had a few minutes before I left the room to go to the pulpit, and I happened to turn on the television in the motel room, and up came or on came a local television preacher. He was preaching on the cross. I will never forget it. He made this statement, Brother O'Donnell. He said, we don't know, but what Jesus could have died in a king-sized bed between silk sheets. I said out loud, that's a lie. I said out loud, that's not true. I said out loud, baloney. And a lot of people have that kind of theology. Oscar Mayer theology. It's a whole lot of baloney. Friend, Jesus could not have died in a king-sized bed between two silk sheets. No, sir, no, ma'am. He had to go to the cross for that sacrifice to be scriptural. It had to be supreme and it had to be serious. Oh, the suffering of Calvary. Physical suffering, thirdly, spiritual suffering. First Peter two twenty four. For his own self, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness. By whose stripes ye were healed. A pain that the Savior endured on the cross was spiritual suffering. All other sufferings pale in comparison to the pain of you and I's wicked transgressions being placed upon the sinless Lamb of God, the one who never sinned in word or thought in deed, had my sins and had your sins placed upon him just as I placed this handkerchief upon that pulpit. But friend, that handkerchief is not clean and really this pulpit is not clean. But when our unclean, uncleanliness touched his cleanliness, oh my, that was the greatest of all sufferings that the Savior ever experienced or endured. Oh, that every person that is in this service this morning would realize that the different pains that the Savior experienced and more importantly endured on the cross was emotional suffering, physical suffering, and spiritual suffering. Emotional pain, physical pain, and spiritual pain. Rembrandt, the famous Dutch artist, painted a picture of the crucifixion. Now, I believe that you know that Rembrandt is mainly and mostly called by his last name. He had a first name which uh, would start about on the edge of this pulpit and run all the way, if this is south, (laughs) run all the way to Key West, Florida, just his first name. And some people would just go by his last name, Rembrandt. And my brother, I can pronounce it, but I don't want folks to think I'm showing off. Rembrandt painted a beautiful uh, and uh, a there... Uh, riveting picture of the crucifixion. Vividly, he portrayed Christ writhing in aimless agony on the cruel cross. Vividly, he depicted the various attitudes of those about the cross towards the suffering Savior by their facial expression. Apart from the Savior's death, the most significant thing about the painting, listen, is the artist's painting of himself standing in the shadow on the edge of the onlookers. 
This was Rembrandt's way of saying, I was there too. I helped crucify Jesus. We too were there standing in the shadows. An unknown poet put it like this. "'Twas I that shed the sacred blood. I nailed him to the tree. I crucified the Christ of God. I joined the mockery. You see, Calvary's a place you leave, but it's a place that never leaves you because it's a painful place. And then number three, and last of all, not only it's a particular place, and it's a painful place. And oh, I've been looking forward to this third point since the Lord laid this message upon my heart to preach in this 21st anniversary service to the Community Baptist Temple in Akron, Ohio. Number three, and last of all, it's a pardoning place. Verses 42 and 43, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. A reason Calvary is the place a person leaves, but it remains the place that never leaves them, is it's a pardoning place in verses 42 and 43, the position that Luke tells us that this spot is one of uncomprehendable forgiveness. Did I mention that the songwriter wrote, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. The repentant thief on the other cross beside the Lord Jesus Christ thunders the truth. Down the corridors of time, absolution, amnesty, and acquittal are all available if an individual will simply ask. Say, wait a minute, Dr. Hamlin, you don't understand what I've said. You don't understand where I have gone. Dr. Hamlin, you don't understand what I have done. Friend, that is absolutely immaterial. Because if Jesus can save a thief, then Jesus and his salvation can touch anybody. And while I'm on that, let me get a hold, let me go ahead and get on this. This believing kleptomaniac. And that's what he was. This believing kleptomaniac is the biggest enemy of all cults uh, and uh, philosophies of men and religion. He's the biggest enemy because he simply believed and he was saved. Dr. John R. Rice once wrote about this scene in Scripture. This man was saved, forgiven without any religious rites. He went on to say there was no baptism, no communion supper, no learning of the catechism. Place a little bookmarker there. Allow me to say that I never hear the word catechism. I never say the word catechism. But what I feel like, I need to go and get a flu shot. It's kind of like I slept with the window open and influenza. Dr. Rice, man, 
There was no baptism, no communion supper, no learning of the catechism, no confession to a priest. Uh, he simply turned his heart to Jesus for mercy and he received it. Then he writes, so thank God the vilest sinner may be saved instantly if in repentance and faith he comes to Jesus. Friend, you and I need to know that the reason Calvary's the place that you leave, but it remains the place that never leaves you is it's a pardoning place. The Bible says in Romans 10, 12 and 13, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because of Calvary, a person can go from the mire to the choir, from sinner to saint, from thief to one who will one day take a trot down streets of pure gold. Oh, that advertisement, that ad uh, for those resorts, uh, there are places you leave and places that never leave you. Friend, I thought about Calvary. I thought of the place of the skull. I thought about Golgotha. I'm closing with this. T.D. Talmadge was a great preacher of yesteryear. In fact, T.D. Talmadge is... Uh, Another one of my favorite preachers to read after. They, they called him, Brother Wetzel, they cultured Billy Sunday. I love to read T.D. Wittalich. He was a contemporary uh, of uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was a contemporary of Henry Ward Beecher. They all lived in the same era. Uh, and uh, those who heard uh, all three of them preach had made this uh, observation that Spurgeon in his preaching was doctrinal uh, and uh, uh, Beecher in his preaching was inspirational uh, and uh, Talmadge in his preaching was devotional. Now, I will tell you of the three, Talmadge is my favorite. And I'll also tell you uh, that Spurgeon was no fan of Beecher. He thought he was kind of light. Uh, he kind of thought that he really didn't have uh, any kind of uh, punch in his preaching. And that ought to encourage you because you think this is a new day when preachers get on other preachers. But that's been happening forever. <laughs> Talmadge, those who heard him preach say, that he could describe a wagon going through a field of violence. And Brother Josh O'Donnell, when he was done, those who heard him preach say, you could hear the creak of the wagon wheel and smell the scent of the crushed violence. He was an orator. He had the ability of what I call playing marbles on the coattails of comets. And he could take an audience's... Um, ears, and turn them into eyeballs. I'm not bragging, but you're listening to an orator right now. Like Joe Friday used to say on Dragnet, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. If I can lay a little bit of oratory on you right now, you may think that you're hot snot on a silver platter, but you're just a cold burger on a paper plate. Shades. 
of Teeny Wet Talmadge. <laughs> Talmadge. Preacher said, let me grow on you. That's like, that's like a wart. <laughs> Teeny Wet Talmadge, one of my favorite preachers of the past to read after. He used to tell about a certain incident from the history of the country of Switzerland. He said, I quote, when the Swiss were many years ago contending against their enemies, they saw these enemies standing in a solid flanx. Now a Flanx is a heavily armed infantry of ancient Greeks, uh, and they knew not how to break their ranks. Talmadge went on to say, but one of their heroes rushed out in front of his regiment and shouted, Make way for liberty! The weapons of the enemy were plunged into his heart, but while they were slaying him, of course, their ranks were broken, and through that gap in the ranks, the Swiss marched to victory. Then he would say, Christ saw all the powers of darkness assailing men. He cried out, Make way for the redemption of the world. All the weapons of eternal wrath struck him, but as they struck him, our race marched out free to the middle cross. My dying hearers, look that your souls may live. It's a pardoning place. About three weeks ago, Mrs. Hamlin was with me in a revival meeting. I was preaching about 50 minutes from the house. And she went with me on Sunday and going to that church both Sunday morning and Sunday night and that revival meeting, four times that day, we passed a prison, a state prison in Jackson. Four times. And one of those four times, I don't know whether I was going to the pulpit or heading back to the house, we passed that State prison, I mean, you just look at it and know exactly what it is. You can look at it and know that it's not an ice cream parlor. And I don't remember exactly, Mrs. O'Donnell, which time, but one in those four times, I pointed to it and said to Mrs. Hamlin, it doesn't matter what anybody's done in there because Calvary would forgive them. You see, Jesus went to that cross and died in my place. He died in your place. And it doesn't matter what I've said. It doesn't matter where I've gone. It doesn't matter what I've done. If Jesus can save a thief, then guess what? Good news, good news, good news. He can save you and I. Advertisement in that in-flight magazine, June of 2010, read on the top there are places you leave and places that never leave you I don't think of a resort when I think of that statement I think of the cross our heads are bowed our eyes are closed how does the church make it 21 years